0: Well, I certainly think it's uh, appropriate to begin this morning with a word of thanksgiving and gratitude for our our brother Joel Reedy, who shared last Sunday morning. I've heard from more than a handful of just how um, impactful that sermon was, and it was to our own hearts as we joined you last week via the live stream before heading off uh, on vacation. So, Joel, thank you. It was truly a profound word from the Lord, and we all were well fed last week. Let me paint the scene of what I've experienced over the last week. Imagine uh, Lake Harmony, Pennsylvania, just by the Poconos, a little lake house, and 12 children and eight adults crammed in this lake house. That's been my week. It's been a really, really rich week. I caught the biggest fish that anybody caught all week. I caught the second biggest fish that anybody caught, but I caught the most fish that anybody caught this week, and I am very, very proud of it. (laughs) Now, it was a a truly uh, great blessing for Laurie and our children and I to get away with her family, um, and uh, God was so kind to us. But it's good to be home with you. And I really bring you, perhaps, a a timely word. I began to prepare this sermon the week before vacation, and it ministered to my heart, and so I share it with you this morning. A couple of years ago, I read a very impactful book by a man man by the name of David Murray. He wrote a book entitled, Reset, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture, Some of you may want to grab your iPhone and dial up Amazon at the moment and start to order that particular book. But in the book, David Murray opens up about the sobering reality check that he had personally received after an extended and intensive season of effective but exhausting ministry. Ignoring certain physiological warning signs of danger and late One Sunday afternoon, after a red-eye flight back home from yet another speaking trip away, feeling tightness in his back and in his neck and losing his ability to breathe easily, David Murray reluctantly, but I think wisely, um, yielded to his, let's just call her, uh, persistent wife, his persistent wife, and, uh, and went to the hospital. After several tests and a parade of physicians coming through his small makeshift hospital room, Murray received the following diagnosis. You have multiple blood clots in both of your lungs, and if you keep going on like this, you will die. How would you like to receive that news out of the blue? Well, instantly, as you can imagine, this Well sought after speaker and writer, a pastor, a husband, a father of several children was sidelined, just shelved in an instant. After just a few brief words, Murray was stopped nearly dead in his tracks, literally, and told that he would have to lay in a hospital bed for 36 hours while his body did what he needed it to do, while it rested and recovered. David Murray would later write in this book reset of that experience saying from Psalm 119 verse 71 it was good for me that I have been afflicted that I may learn God's statutes. He said God was hunting me down. Here at the peak of this man's power at the height of his personal influence in uh, in speaking and in writing at the apex of his apparent fruitfulness in ministry the most important thing for this man in his life at that particular moment was to stop and to rest in Christ. God will have his way with us, the easy way or the hard way. Today's big idea, the thing that I want you to walk out with this morning is is simply this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ promises peace, and it promises rest to those who are willing to stop and embrace it. Do you need that word this morning? I know that I did recently. Psalm uh, excuse me, Philippians 4 verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Today's a word about peace. Now our brother Mark... Read for us in Mark chapter 6, just a few moments ago, where we saw Jesus here calling the 12. That's Peter and James and John and the other guys, the rest of his disciples. Seemingly, as we've said many times before, rather unremarkable men. There was nothing truly exceptional about them, except that they had been selected by Jesus. They had been chosen to be with Christ and to work for Christ, in a sense, back in chapter 3, verse 13 of Mark's gospel. But when we come to chapter 6, we read these words beginning in verse 7. And he, Jesus, began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, and not to put on two tunics, in other words, to travel lightly. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. That was the disciples whom Jesus had called. Essentially, Jesus sent these guys on an important missions trip. This was a season of intense spiritual preparation and great learning in Christ's school of spiritual discipleship. Have you ever been through a a particularly grueling or rigorous season of spiritual preparation? I imagine most of you have. This was an exciting and exhilarating and equipping, but evidently exhausting time for Peter and the guys from Galilee. They did as they were told, and they saw awesome results. They preached repentance, and they saw God perform many, the Bible says, works of healing through their ministry. How would you feel if you were part of that group? We'd be feeling pretty good. Hey, we're no wonder Jesus selected us. Look at all, look at all we're doing. But then pick up with me in Mark six verse thirty. And our focus this morning is in this familiar passage, Jesus feeding the five thousand, but on this perhaps often overlooked dimension of this passage in verses thirty and thirty-one. We read here these strange and oddly refreshing, but truly soul-satisfying words. That the apostles returned to Jesus and told him, notice, all that they had done and taught. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. What would you expect to hear next out of Jesus' mouth? Maybe, good work guys, here's your next assignment. That's how many modern employers might speak. Or, well done boys. Here's what's next on your agenda for me. Or, you know, Peter, when you healed that particular man of that demon, you should have done it this way. Perhaps a a word of correction. No, friends, notice that's not at all where Jesus goes with those whom he loves. Instead, he simply says to his disciples, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. I wonder if you've been there. You've been at that place of seeming success, but you're on the brink of burnout. You see, to those who are tempted to think that busyness is the pathway to blessedness in God's kingdom, to those who are weak and threadbare, to the weary and the tired, to those who are exhausted and nearly running on empty, Jesus says, come away with me. He doesn't say, go away from me. Get back to work. He says, come away with me. Take a break before you burn out. Chill out before you flame out. Jesus invites his followers to take a strategic, spiritual, restful timeout. Just take a timeout. Because I know what you really need. You need refreshment in my presence. You got to regroup. This is also familiar to us as we think of the same invitation to renewal and refreshment and rest to this unbelievable offer of heavenly hospitality from the heart of God Himself in Matthew 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, notably, Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus points out two things. What do we need? We need his peace. And where do we find that? We find it in his person. And so many of us are trying to grasp for peace and purpose in life as we bypass Jesus in our business. Now notice again to that to the stressed out and to the worn out, Jesus does not hurry us along to the next assignment. But instead, he lovingly lovingly slows us down to experience his compassion and gentle care. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Somebody here this morning needs to hear the Lord say to you, come to me. You don't need to be told to hurry up. You need to be told to slow down. Because the gospel is not all go, go, go. But it also includes precious moments and strategic timeouts where we experience the peace of Christ. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do in a given week or day is nothing but sit at Jesus' feet. Come away with me. Not go away from me. Again, one of the many important lessons found in this passage this morning is the truth that God does not value what you can do for Him more than He values you. God does not prioritize our productivity. He prioritizes ourselves in His goodness. He wants you to slow down and love Him more than love what you do for Him. Somebody once said, if you don't come apart you will eventually come apart. Sometimes the most spiritual thing, again, you can do is simply stop, take a break, and rest in the presence and in the grace of King Jesus. And I know this firsthand. Because if I'm being honest with you this morning, for many years, probably for 20 years, I bought the lie of the world hook, line, and sinker that said, my activity equals my identity. That what I do defines who I am. And that's not true. Who bought me and who sought me and who freed me defines who I am and who you are too. We believe the lie that says I'm too important to unplug. I'm too important to disconnect. The world will fall apart if I don't hold on. But friends... We need rest. We need rest. It's a matter of life and death spiritually and physically at times. If we don't find rest in the arms of our Savior. But now secondly this morning I want you to also notice that Jesus says come away by yourselves to a desolate. Or maybe you could say that a secluded place. Now some modern translations of verse 31 render the phrase, come away by yourselves to a quiet place, in this past week was anything but quiet. It was not quiet, but it was truly good. The, word, the way the ESV translates the phrase, I think, is actually better. It is less so this idea of, of quiet or silent and more so desolate or barren. It is actually the same word, a desert. Come away by yourselves to a desert-like place and rest a while. Now, the portrait that Mark paints of Jesus and his disciples, going all the way back to the beginning of Mark's gospel, is one of remarkable power and rising popularity. Jesus is a rock star, spiritually. Jesus Christ is truly the God-man on a mission in Mark's gospel. The word immediately occurs, I think, 11 times in the Gospel of Mark, helping to quicken our step and our pace as we walk with Christ to Calvary. Jesus, recall, is baptized by John and then tested in the wilderness, interestingly, while being surrounded by wild animals. And then he catapults onto the scene, proclaiming the Gospel of God and healing all kinds of diseases. In Mark chapter 1 at Capernaum, which was Jesus' home base in his Galilean ministry, he heals a man with an unclean spirit. And then we are told in Mark 1, 28, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And then a few verses later, while in Peter's house, Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And we are told in verse 32 of Mark 1, That evening at sundown, they, the surrounding area, brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus' popularity is off the charts And he can't get a moment's rest. Perhaps if you're not quite as familiar with Jesus or with Mark's gospel account specifically, then you might be dumbfounded at what Jesus does next. Again, just picture the scene. Sort of like the scene in Mark 6. Jesus is preaching and performing miracles. He's doing good stuff. Bus loads of would-be followers are crowding into here and to be healed by Jesus. By the way, this is every seminary student's dream. We all go through seminary thinking this is going to be our particular ministry. And yet, what does Jesus do in response to this crowd? He doesn't hold another revival meeting. He doesn't call for another night of healing services there in Capernaum. Instead, he seeks out his own spiritual retreat. Some alone time with the Father to personally commune with the Lord. And we read it in Mark 1.35. The scripture says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to notice a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Here's something you need to know. Jesus was not interested in the crowd. He wasn't interested in building a brand. He was interested in changing a world. And Jesus knew that if you're going to endure in ministry, if you're going to last and reach the finish line, if you're going to go the distance, then you need to regularly retreat to desolate places. You need to encounter and be cared for by the Father himself, or else you won't make it to the end. It was said of Philip Melanchthon, everybody's favorite German, the great reformation theologian and friend of martin luther that he said once to luther this day you and i will discuss the governance of the universe to which luther replied no this day you and i will go fishing and leave the governance to the of the universe to god himself <laughs> what a great reply come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while not a pit stop But just to stop, when did rest become such a dirty word in the church? Do you hear the word vacation and you think vice or do you think virtue? Do you judge somebody who takes time away as being soft or as being smart? See, there's sort of an attitude against retreat that some people have today some of us feel guilty or ashamed to even take vacation time and that was me for many many years and really it is a manifestation of pride because one might think that nothing will happen if you're not there one unknown author put it this way we mutter and sputter we fume and we spurt we mumble and grumble our feelings get hurt We can't understand things. Our vision grows dim when all that we need is communion with Him. You see, some of you this morning are running on empty, and you know it. Some of you are running on empty, and you don't know it, but it shows. There was a wealthy man who called together three gifted artists and gave each of them the same commission. He said, I want you to paint a picture and title it, Rest. And away the artists went, each to his own studio to ponder this assignment, to rough up some initial sketches and to paint the scene called Rest. Several months later, each artist returned to the wealthy man with his painting in hand. The first artist revealed a beautiful landscape, Sort of like Lake Harmony, Pennsylvania, perhaps. A placid pool vividly reflecting the mountains that rose up behind it with 12 loud children just slightly in the background. The second unveiled the image of a farmer lying in the cool shadow of a large haystack, enjoying a well-earned break from his hard physical labor. That was his picture of rest. But the third unveiled a scene of frenzy and fury. A great torrent passing over a waterfall and plunging to the ground far below, but leaning over the top of the cliff was a branch, and on that branch was a nest, and in that nest sat a bird who was brooding over her young, attending to their every need. And this, the wealthy patron thought was, with his great delight, was the truest portrait of genuine rest." Friends, the Bible says that we are to be still and to know that I am God. Psalm 46.10, David Murray again said in his book, one of the keys to a happier and less stressful life is turning down the volume of, in our minds and enjoying internal, internal calm and quiet. He says the grace of peace is a vital part of a grace-paced life. We need rest for the body as well as for the mind. Let me add to this, the reality is that proper rest and recovery for us as God's creature is a matter of humility and a concern of the heart. Just two weeks ago I was listening to a great podcast, it's called You're Not Crazy, I need to listen to it every particular week. Pastor Ray Ortland said on that podcast, the absence of rest may reveal the presence of pride. I thought that was a good statement. I'll tell you another story, the story of um, Samuel Clemens, better known as Mark Twain, who once took a tour of the Holy Land of Europe as well in the 1860s. And then after this trip, he wrote down some observations, including the following. He says, afterward, we walked up and down one of the most popular streets for some time and wishing we could export some of it to our restless, driving, vitality-consuming marts at home. Just in this matter lies one of the main charms of Europe, comfort. In America, he writes, we hurry, which is well, but when the day's work is done, we go on thinking of losses and gains. We plan for tomorrow. We even carry our business cares to bed with us, and we toss and we worry over them when we ought to be restoring our racked bodies and brains with sleep. We burn up our energies with these excitements And either die early or drop into a lean and mean old age at a time which they call a man's prime in Europe. When an acre of ground is produced long and well, we let it lie fallow and rest for a season. We take no man clear across the continent in the same coach that he started in. The coach rather is stabled somewhere on the plains and its heated machinery is allowed to cool for a few days. When a razor has seen long service and refuses to hold an edge, the barber lays it down, the barber lays it away for a few weeks, and the edge comes back on its own accord. We bestow thoughtful care upon inanimate objects, but not upon ourselves. What a robust people, what a nation of thinkers we might be if we would only lay ourselves on the shelf occasionally and renew our own edges. Close quote. Jesus says, come away by yourselves and rest a while. This makes me think of one of my favorite quotes on the blessedness of spiritual rest by Victor Hugo, go to sleep at peace because God is awake. Did you know that one of the best ways, and best ways not only that we learn to trust God, but actually one of the best ways that we seek to imitate God is by practicing a regular rhythm of spiritual and physical rest. You don't have to go very far in the Bible to see that God himself rests. Recall God's own example from Genesis chapter 2. The Bible declares, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. Literally, it says he Sabbathed. God stopped on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You ever wondered why God rested? Was he tired? Was he exhausted from creation? Did God need to rest after making everything out of nothing? Of course not. He's God. But like a good father, he rested to set it a standard for us, an example, a holy model for the crown jewel of his creation, humanity, to follow. Coming away to rest a while with Christ is not only a matter of humility, it is a matter of obedience. And while we in Christ are free to recognize uh, how we observe the Lord's day in a variety of ways acceptable ways and some that frankly probably are quite unacceptable to God and we're covering that up. Remember that one of the big 10 commandments says this, Exodus 20 verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. And here's why. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God rested not for himself but for us. He rested to set a model or a template for us to follow. One pastor put it this way, God designed this pattern of six days of work and one day of rest for perfect people in a perfect world. That was, Genesis 2 happens before Genesis 3, which is the fall. How much more than do we need it now in such fallen bodies, in such a fallen world? David Murray said again, this is a divine gift for our good. As Jesus himself later states, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Quoting a pastor by the name of J.R. Briggs, Murray states, I have yet to meet a burned out pastor who practiced Sabbath religiously. See, the truth is, obeying God's loving command for regular repeated periods of rest and renewal is about releasing control. It is about letting go to our ever faithful God who is always good and works for our good. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7 says. If you are always working hard for the Lord and never resting in the Lord, then your life is out of spiritual rhythm. You're in a sort of spiritual a a dangerous heart rhythm that's going to lead to destruction. It's based on the lie of Satan that says you can live, you can live without alone time with God. You, the world can't survive without you. It's all up to you, and that's a lie because guess what? We're still here this week. We're still here. You know, the prophet Jeremiah declared in Jeremiah 6, verse 16, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And in verse 17 it says, we will not pay attention to them. The fact is, friends, we need rest physically. Let me suggest... Three rhythms for you and I. We need rest on a daily basis. David rose early in the morning to meet with God. Christ, early in the morning. Is there a regular rhythm daily of alone time with you and the Lord? Where you read the scriptures, where you get on your knees, where you, where you just let Jesus love you in quiet. We all need a daily time of rest and renewal. But also, as we've seen from Exodus and from Genesis chapter 2, we also need a weekly time of renewal. That is, in a sense, we need to practice Sabbath. Not just today, but this week, because we're going to loop back again. It's part of God's design of renewal. We need to Sabbath in obedience to God. We need to rest in Him. I'm not telling you how to observe the Sabbath, but I'm telling you that you need it. I'm telling you that you need to come alone, one in seven with God, to unplug so that you can see that God holds all things in the power of His own hand. But I also suggest that we need periods, whether they are quarterly or annually, maybe even monthly, of extended rest, where we can renew ourselves in the beauty of God's creation and in the grace of Christ's love. And again, I don't know what that looks like for you, But I submit to you that it is a good thing. Maybe once a quarter of a year, you you get alone for just a weekend and and spend time in in reflection with the Lord, or take a vacation once or twice a year with your family. These are things that you might press into application from this particular passage. This last portion of this message, I want to maybe bring out a surprise to us. The obvious has been this need for physical rest, but there's something else that's going on in this text. That I want to end with this morning. Because in addition to merely physical renewal and rest. We need to daily experience and encounter the rest that Jesus actually wants to give us. We need to come to Jesus to retreat spiritually into the outstretched arms of the one who died on Calvary. For us. To receive his blessed grace and peace. To receive the, the affirmation And the energy that he alone provides. Even as Isaiah 40 verse 28 and following says. Have you not known? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you feel like you are running on empty. It may mean that you've unplugged. But maybe you've unplugged from God. Not from life. Because if you're plugged in to God. You will never run out of strength. You will never run out of out of uh, his, his love and His peace and His grace. See, there is something even better than a good nap, even better than a good night out with your wife, even better than a good weekend in the Poconos. There is the compassion and renewing power of Jesus Himself. Back to our disciples and back to Mark 6. Verse 31 again said, Many were coming and going, And they had no leisure even to eat. Do you see that? But what the disciples didn't quite realize is that Jesus wanted to teach them and us a much needed lesson. Namely, that it is in the times and the seasons when we feel that we are our lowest. And when we are the weakest, that the power and grace of Jesus shines the brightest. It is when we are weak that we are strong, Paul says. Sometimes we have to retreat, that is to enter the deserted places of life, to admit that our hands and our hearts are empty and desperate for Christ, and also to see that there's things that only Jesus can do. That he makes possible what we see as impossible. That we walk by faith and not by sight, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. I want to close by showing you what I mean from this amazing scene. Again, the apostles had returned to Jesus and told, them, told him, and I find this almost hilarious, all that they had done and taught, verse 30. Sort of like a, a kindergartner showing his coloring page to a master artist. Oh, look at all that we did, Lord. He's so gracious with us. But in response, Jesus had compassionately replied to them, saying, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Again, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They were busy and burdened even while business was booming. But here's the surprising rest of the story. Verse 32 says, And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot and this is easy in the Galilee region, because you can, you can go you can see who's out on the, the, the Sea of Galilee and you can run around. It takes a little bit while, but you can do that. So they saw where they were going, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Notice verse 34 in particular, when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus did three things here. Firstly, he saw the crowd. Secondly, he felt compassion. That is, he was moved deeply on the inside by what he saw. And thirdly, he began to teach them many things. And here's the the secret of Mark that I think we want to recognize as well today. Even in the midst of busyness and physical burdens, listening to Jesus and learning from Jesus is the key to refreshment and renewal. In other words, spiritual provision is even greater than physical refreshment. It's certainly greater than physical emptiness because of our big big idea today that the the gospel of Jesus Christ provides and, pro- and promises peace and rest to those who are willing to stop to receive it. The text tells us that Jesus began to teach them many things. I stopped in my study and said, well, well who's them? Well, on one level, it clearly refers to the hapless and helpless and hungry crowds of people. Jesus taught them something about the fact that he provides uh, for a need that They don't even know they have. But I also think it refers to Jesus' weary and exhausted and empty-handed disciples. Remember, they were supposed to go on vacation with Jesus here, but they have to get back to work in a moment. Here's the conclusion to the story, picking up in verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away. Didn't Jesus just say, come away with me? And the disciples here are saying, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Hey Jesus, the stores are all about to close and all these folks are going to starve. Send them away. Don't you know what you're doing? It's almost as if they're rebuking the Lord here. But what did Jesus say to them? Verse 37 is going to stagger you. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. This is wild to me. Jesus says, I know they're hungry. And I know you think you're empty. But you have something, you have a resource and a relationship that these people desperately need. You know me. So you give them something to eat. You meet a need where there's a need. But in order to meet that need, you got to be rooted into me. It's sort of like what the resurrected Jesus again said to the apostle Paul, back in 2 Corinthians twelve nine. But he said to me, Paul writes, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses." so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not hard to imagine the disciples' confusion and exasperation. Perhaps they were a bit hangry themselves, and they said, "Um, Jesus, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? There's a little sarcasm here. And that's because 200 denarii would have been maybe the equivalent of $30,000 in today's economy. Jesus, there are literally thousands of people and you're expecting, did anybody bring your lunch? Are you expecting us to feed this group? Are you out of your mind? That's, That's the sense that we have here. But watch and learn the important lesson. Verse 38, and he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. I caught two of them. Remember, I caught four fish this past week. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, He looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves, notice, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men, just the men more beyond the men. Two lessons that I see here. There is a need that only Jesus can supply. Jesus alone satisfies the biggest needs of the earth. But secondly, church, listen. Jesus has programmed the church that we are partners with him to meet that need. See, Jesus didn't need the disciples to feed the 5,000, but he wanted them, and he used them. He wants to use us. I think Joel said this last week in his message. He's absolutely right. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Absolutely right. In other words, this is significant. It's, it's a biblical, uh, it's a New Testament way of highlighting the text, a, a repetition of the stories. The important spiritual lesson is simply this. Today's sermon is not about taking a vacation. More than a vacation, more than mere physical rest, the disciples needed to be reminded that, they, that what we need most is what Jesus alone gives, and that God wants to use us to see people come to know Jesus and taste and see that He is good. That's what He wants for us. We need to be fed and cared for by Christ, and He wants to use us to feed and care for others. Jesus feeds the 5,000, but if you notice carefully, He fed them through weary, burned-out disciples. It's not physical rest or spiritual renewal. It's come alone. Come come alone with me and be used by me. It's a both-and. Jesus did this to teach them a huge lesson, and that lesson is that even in the midst of busy ministry, it's important to rest. It's important to seek some alone time with the Savior, but but the other lesson is that the disciples often, weak and worn out, are never left empty-handed. We are never left empty-handed. The bread of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, never gets moldy and it never runs out. Jesus promises and provides the peace that you and I need. So, just ask you three questions before I pray. Friend, are you prioritizing times of personal rest and renewal with Jesus every day, every week, every year? Are you doing that? Secondly, are you perceiving the spiritual lessons and truths that come from being close to Jesus? Are you learning in His presence? And then lastly, are you being empowered to help others see the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ? Because there's a world that is truly hungry and He wants to use us to feed it. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, again, we thank and praise You that You renew us and You refresh us. That truly, Lord, we have tasted many things on earth, but nothing is as satisfying as you. Nothing is as sweet as you. Nothing gives us the strength that you give. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would take this word and that you would apply it to our hearts and lives by your Holy Spirit, that we would not become idle. We should not make an idol out of rest. But at the same time, we must not become independent and seek to do things for you without resting in you. Oh Lord, I pray that you would be honored to use your word in each of our hearts. And Lord, begin with me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.